that's one of those things where the claims on that was $88,000 compared to the 10,000 or so a year they were paying for, for the family, for global health insurance. That was nothing. Over the years of paying premiums, that was just priceless. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Andrew Jernigan, co-founder and CEO of Insured Nomads, a startup disrupting the way insurance is delivered. Andrew stands dead center at the intersection of insurance and travel safety innovation, building a delivery model for travel and global health insurance that will serve as the standard for the future of InsurTech, FinTech, and travel tech. Passionate about protecting people around the world, Andrew is hyper-focused on building a new insurance model. So travelers, expats, and digital nomads can explore the world freely and work within it with increased well-being and peace of mind. In addition to serving as CEO, Andrew is also a strategic advisor for Mobility Empowered, SHAP, and Share Hope International, a fellow with Travel Tech Executive Fellowship and On Deck, and a co-host of the popular podcast, The New Nomad. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and and with all the listeners that tune in, tune in for each episode. Here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you. So I want to ask you one thing right out of the box. What is a digital nomad? Uh, that's a broadly defined term, and I think it was first used in 1996. And that's about the time that I stepped out of a music store called Virgin Megastore, one of Richard Branson's companies. Yep. I was in the city of Amsterdam, sat down at a cafe table and wrote in my journal that there's not a country I don't want to visit. And I want to find a partner. I want to marry someone that's willing to, to do the same. So for me, working, living around the world was birthed um, 30 years ago, right around the time when that uh, rule came into existence where people could work from wherever they were from their, with their laptop. That's often um, viewed from the colonial term expat. It's the, it's the location independent. It's the international assignee a lot of times. It's just that family that says we can work from anywhere. Let's do it. So you were way ahead of the game before COVID, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. And we were a fully remote company before the pandemic and right. before the spotlight was on it as, yeah. as thousands, tens of thousands of companies were. Right. Well, as was I, I mean, I've been, I've been working, you know, uh, from home for going on 21 years now. So Andrew, you have extensive experience in healthcare insurance and banking industries locally, regionally, and globally. Um, and your early adoption of the expat nomadic life has really provided you with you know, some unique experiences and perspectives to break boundaries through the merging of technology with humanity. You know, you volunteered, you've traveled, you've lived on several continents um, and really learned firsthand that insurance had to evolve to provide relevant, uh, 
trustworthy, you know, and intuitive, you know, human or person-centered services that world travelers and remote workers needed, you know, as remote work increasingly became normalized and expected. Is this, I mean, is this, would you say this is the big problem you're solving for your clients? Yes. Secondary to that, though, is how it's solved. Because Many times people don't go to a hospital in a foreign country. It's the last thing they want to do. Yeah, well, yeah. I think they the don't go to the doctor do even in their home country. Yeah, right. yeah. As you were about to say, it's it's a thing that preventative care is is avoided. Uh, even the checkup when they know that something's not right, and so the the whole process has to be redesigned. There's not much, there's a great divide often between mental health and physical health when they're really interlinked. So building that in to where people can see therapists without feeling guilty, they can see it without leaving their own. Uh, they can change therapists if it's not a great one they've been seeing through us. But, and not have to pay and chase to get reimbursed for a claim because that's one of the major needs and obstacles within our industry is changing how how payment is is done for the healthcare as well. Really? Can you can you say a little bit more about that? So yeah, you know, we live with our phones yeah. in our hands most of the day. Mm. Even when we should be sitting in the in the bathroom at night and it's still <laughs> at our so bedside. We're thing. grabbing it in the middle of the night, grabbing at it. <laughs> You know, it's a yeah. thing where our phones are closer yeah. to us than anything yeah. else in yeah. life. But yet, yep. most times our insurance can't be managed from our phone. Right. So when I say travel tech, those are some of the components to get you into the airport lounge when you're traveling to have a VPN mm -hmm. on your phone. Right. But then also to have a, in our case, it's a MasterCard connected card in your app for your, for your global health insurance mm -hmm. so that that can be used to pay for the care so that you're not having to file claims and get reimbursed to your own credit card. Mm -hmm. These are some of the major changes that have to take place in care around the world as people are choosing to work mm -hmm. outside their home cities and employers and or self-employed are saying, how am I going to do this? It's not a trip, so it's not really travel insurance. Right. So it's global health insurance, but a lot of people don't realize there's a difference. Yes, comprehensive. You want to make sure maternity or cancer or mm -hmm. um, some major thing is covered. And it's not just a travel insurance sending you home where you don't have insurance, potentially. So someone like me who's self-employed, um, can I buy insurance from you for myself and my team? Absolutely. Okay. And that's often the case. People coming to us, they may come through a broker, but then small, medium-sized companies are finding us on Google and, and TikTok and LinkedIn saying, okay, insured nomads, uh, can you cover us? I'm giving my folks freedom to work wherever they want. Mm -hmm. And they're choosing to work for the next six weeks from, from the beach instead of the snow. Right. Uh, so it's, that's ideal. And coming back for more. With us, though, you get 12 months, even if it's only a, a six-week policy, you're getting 12 months of mental health. You're getting 12 months of the airport lounge access for delayed flights. So you can use those when you're here at home. Uh, so much more than just the health because, yeah, 
good chances are you're taking care of yourself and you're not going to get sick, not going to get injured. And I want to come back to that in a little bit, but there, there are, so there are four co-founders that you have, you, you and three, you and three others, one of which is your wife. Um, how, how did this, I mean, did you, did you and Juliana just say, Hey, this is something we want to get started. And you brought in your other co-founders. How was, what was the genesis of the company? So, um, my wife's a travel med doc. Um, I should go back and really specify on that because she's originally a pediatrician, lived and worked in in Ghana, West Africa, and um, sure, did some postgraduate studies in tropical medicine, which is what your travel clinics specialists usually have. Uh, She then went on for MBA, a master's in public health, and was on the corporate side. We have lived and worked around the world, single, married, then with kids, and at some point, I was with a multinational organization representing their their HR and operations aspects. I'd seen way too many things happen that shouldn't that should have been avoided. Decided that I was going to delve into risk management. Got licensed, credentialed, and appointed with twenty five of the leading carriers just in global. Then realized, wow, there's not a good solution. This is outdated. It's antiquated. Right. So fast forward a few years, Alan Kosky joined, and he was one of the first employees at Sigma Global. Brad Eastup came in as chief operating officer, and he was at the Aetna International and United Healthcare Global. And uh, so what we've put together is, is truly something extraordinarily different to disrupt how insurance is designed, delivered, and um, received by the buyer members. Now, with this, it's the insurance companies usually own the tallest building in any city. Maybe it's rivaled by a bank with that tallest building. I referenced earlier, our goal wasn't to have the buildings because I said we we're fully remote pre-pandemic. Now, that's a lot of money in brick and mortar that we can put elsewhere. And from the start, we committed to support the work of eliminating modern-day slavery or human trafficking. And so from every policy purchased and every other way we can, we give and support that movement. Um, We've partnered with an organization called Not For Sale. And this is a key aspect for us because it's part of our our efforts to to one sure protect people through insurance but protect people from the dangers of this world because it's it's taking place in every country every province every every state in the in the world has a problem with modern day slavery it's often just not discussed and talked about that's a that's a pretty pretty uh pretty amazing um have you have you found that your your co-founders, you know, and as you as you said, they come from big carriers. And, you know, have you found or have they found that it's been a big slap in the face going to work for a startup? <laughs> that that seems to be uh, a major, major problem with people coming out of, you know, huge companies, especially that I think the insurance carriers. Yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't say a huge slap in the face, but it's, it is an adjustment to work for something that doesn't have the bureaucratic um, or the infrastructure that you, 
the or the infrastructure, the supports, the teams of people that get the work done, uh, to having to, you know, you can get it done a whole lot quicker. But um, you also have to do it yourself a lot of times. So you all founded the company just three years ago in October. Um, you've closed 2.3 million um, in seed in pre-seed so far, and I know you're working on uh, another another raise currently. Um, you know what had your initial investors say, "Yeah, this is where we want to put our money." The revolution of travel that the world has seen, and the awareness that global uncertainty is is with us always. And within our vertical of insurance, there really hasn't been much change. In global cross-border health insurance, travel insurance, it's an antiquated product. It's a PDF attached to an email and fine print that you're afraid to look at. And to think, okay, 600 emails earlier, I purchased that. I wonder who I purchased from. Where is it? Oh, wait. I don't have any of that because I'm in the hospital bed. wonder how I can get this bill paid. So putting that all within apps within right there with your boarding pass in your in your Apple wallet, your policy ID card, so you don't have to look through emails. This is one of those things where investors see that, okay, the future of work is changing, but also the future of travel. People are staying gone longer. They're seeing that things are actually better in another place, potentially, for them. They don't have to wait till they retire. Maybe they don't have to buy a house. They can just live from other places and skip countries. And uh, live more frugally in other cultures. So the investment community, one, sees the need for someone to come in and disrupt this, to partner with global payroll companies, the PEOs, EORs, the, and with travel and hospitality. Because for years, when you book a hotel room or an accommodation, they'll say, now book your rental car. Now they're saying, oh, we should we should say book your insurance since countries are actually requiring proof of insurance when you come in now. So it's the, the, the movement has shifted in so many regards. What's the competitive nature of your business, Andrew? It is beginning to heat up. There are a few newcomers into the, into the market that have, have built some, some products that are very similar. So what's been out there for many years, but I think the nature really is the, you know, who can develop the technologies, the travel tech and fintech components that I've described that we've launched. And those, the competitors there, they're trying to catch up with us, which is encouraging, even though some of them have quite a head start. Mm -hmm. So what kind of an impact, you know, in the three years that you, since you were born, <laughs> What kind of an impact would you say you've had on your industry? Uh, I think it's too early to, to really say that. That's uh, sure. We've been nominated for innovative product of the year uh, that will come out later this year from the um, International Travel and Health Insurance Journal. But uh, I think that, you know, as I go to conferences, it's, it's been it's been nice to hear that. Oh, our team talks about you and is is always eager to see what's being said, you know, on LinkedIn or wherever. But you know, it's we learn from each other. We learn from our mistakes every day. We learn from the competitors. We learn from parallel um, or complementary industries. 
as I've referenced, the travel technology versus the insure tech space. I, I think the biggest thing is to live authentically that, yes, we make mistakes. We're human. We work with people. And uh, we're, you know, you, you see what you've built and as a day or week passes, you see the you see the typos, you see the errors, you see the room for improvement, and you think, "Wow, I was I was proud of that last month, but look where it is now." <laughs> it's kind of like the old saying for salespeople: "You're only as good as your last sale." <laughs> yes, right. So that's a really yes. good segue to my next question, which is: Tell me about some of the mistakes you have made as a, a founder CEO and you know, why you think you've made them and what you've done to correct them. I mean, I don't need to hear all, you know, hundred of them, <laughs> but you know, right, the top two or three. One. How long is this episode? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I get that response from everybody. I, I don't have time to give you all those mistakes. You know, pick, pick a few that you want to cover that, that, you know, can make the most impact on listeners. A couple of the things that stand out to me are outsourcing to a say a BPO, business process outsourcing organization, and then realizing you could have just hired the people instead of connecting them to a processing organization. And they would have been a cleaner fit into the culture versus having been coming through an intermediary. I think that the appeal for, oh, you can pay less and, and not, not always outsource to X country, et cetera, but then you don't have as much say and they're not as integrated into the team. And I think that the appeal is there for some for hiring the virtual assistant, the, the distant employee, but yet they're not getting their fair share oftentimes. And there's a divide between those team members and the ones that are truly employees. And through, uh, through different organizations, you can bring them into your team, whether as contractors or as employees. And uh, that's just one of the things that stand out to me. Another is um, not implementing software tools to manage projects and trying to manage them through emails. I, I may have seen a cat go through a background, either mine or yours, at some point during this. And I, I think of managing a project through email as kind of like trying to get a cat to come inside when they're when they're playing with the toy out out on the patio or something. <laughs> it's implementing project management tools, whether it's Asana or Monday or Catalog, one of those to where you can manage things in an asynchronous manner twist by doomist is one of those uh there there's some excellent programs out there and i think delaying that process with one of with outside collaborators costs a lot of money energy and time and delayed product market there's no question uh let me step back to the outsourcing to you know you you starting with a bpo why did you think you needed to go that route it was interesting timing, actually. One contacted me and said, uh, we have people in X location. Right when I had seen people in that location that had come from an insurance company and thought, oh, great, same location. You can hire them for me. 
And so that was, that was the scenario there. It was one of those interesting timing issues. And I think it was, I, I knew if I had thought about it longer, I think I would have made a smarter decision. Yeah, outsourcing is not always what it's cracked up to be. I mean, I, I'm currently getting ready to put solar on my home. And, um, and you're going to do it yourself. You're not going to outsource it. Yeah, right. Um, no, it's getting done by one of the larger companies here in the United States. Um, but the financing is through a different company. And, you know, they were calling me on my cell, which means they went directly to my voicemail. And the first call I got, I mean, the woman couldn't even pronounce my name. I didn't even understand what she was talking about. And I thought, what kind of spam is this? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then a few days later, I think yesterday, maybe, or I get an email from them. We've been trying to reach you. They had since left another voicemail on my cell, which I never got, um, or I hadn't seen yet because of course, since they're not in my contacts, you go directly to voicemail. And it's interesting because I, I, I subsequently wouldn't, wouldn't complete this quote, welcome call. I asked the woman, you know, what country are you, or, or, you know, where's the company headquartered? California. Um, well, where are you located? Well, I'm not going to divulge that to you. <laughs> I thought and there was, the whole conversation was a giant red flag, <laughs> you know, and I subsequently uh, having, having access to all sorts of interesting information, reached out to the CEO of that company and got an email back from him and saying, oh, you know, we'll listen to the recording and he forwarded it on to somebody. But I just thought, is this really the best thing to do is to, you know, outsource to, I mean, he told me what country it was. Um, is that really the best thing to do? Because we're just trying to save money. Right. And, and it's, my point wasn't on the, the not having workers in different countries. Right, because especially in our industry, it's wonderful to have multilingual. It's multi wonderful to have hours working and 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 things. And the hospitality, the level of service, the work ethic is often much better in certain countries. No question than in others. Right in certain regions of countries, also, um, you know, if it's a beach country, you probably wouldn't want to hire people from that country if you're if your target market is people living on the beach, whether it's in the U.S. or Brazil or another country, the beach culture affects the, the work ethic in a country. This happened to be Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. Which I found interesting. So the, the beach culture yeah. it does affect mm -hmm. the, the work ethic of, of a nationality. And, and I've, but there, there are other cultural influences. But true, it's, it's, it's one of those things to determine if you're a dentist office in Montana, do you want to outsource your, your patient scheduling to someone in Columbia? Probably not. Because your folks in Montana want to talk to somebody local. So you may want to hire a, a, somebody from a local community college to do your scheduling instead of someone from a wonderful place like Columbia or, or, or the UK. Right. And to your point, there are so many. You know, I mean, I have people working for me all over the world. Ireland, Philippines, London, India, mm -hmm. you know, and I love all of them. And I also have people working for me here in the United States. Um, you know, I think that, that, you know, everybody is trying to reinvent the wheel or maybe create a new sliced bread. And 
I think just going with an outsourcing company is not really necessarily the right way to go. <laughs> to, your, to your point. Right. And, and that's one of the reasons why we exist is because a lot of times people with that are trying to hire people around the world that can't get insurance for them because they don't right. have a group plan in X country. They may not have a group plan in their home country. Right. But they want to provide benefits. Globally. Right. And so insurance is a service through the platform that we're building is going to be solving that need around the world. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges, Andrew, that you're facing, um, you know, within insured nomads and within your industry? Let's see. Within the industry, of course, it's a very regulated product. So you face um, being able to do things differently since it's got to pass through regulators in that jurisdiction. It's also good we've got to pass through underwriters and reinsurance companies and things that say, well, it's never been done that way before. And it's usually not led by 30, 40 year olds that say, let's do it differently yeah. this time. You got no, the it's, white it's a guy legal contract. It out. Yeah, here. right. Of course. Right. It's a legal contract and, and that's the way it's always been done. And that's how we're going to do it. Uh, that's, that's one aspect as a startup. Of course, it's a thing of keeping up with revenue and investment uh, funds to grow because we have brokers that are representing us to, to their clients around the world. The world is our playground with this, but now it's, it's keeping up with the, de- with the demand, with the resourcing to, to build the products and the partnerships fast enough. Andrew, are you selling strictly through brokers, brokerages? No, we're direct through consumers and then allied partner, distribution partnerships through basically referral marketing. Mm-hmm. How, how are you? So referral marketing is just me saying, hey, you got to try this company. They're doing, a, they're doing a bang up job for me. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can't answer any questions, but if somebody clicks that link and buys you, you get something. Or that could be an API integration in somebody's mm-hmm. travel site to where they bought a, booked a hotel room or enrolled someone in payroll, global payroll. Mm-hmm. And it says, do you want to add benefits? Interesting. Uh, what is your, what is your customer kind of avatar look like? I, you know, is it all, is it just strictly SMB? You know, do you have a small, you know, you have to be, have at least this many employees, you know, where are you? It runs the gamut, actually. We have humanitarian or faith-based organizations that are, that have large groups of people with us. We have multinational companies from defense contractors with folks traveling all around the world to um, youth organizations that are, you know, going out to serve university students to people just going on a cruise saying, okay, if I get sick, I want my cruise money back. And they're buying a, you know, cancel for any reason. All the way to companies who say, okay, we have 135 employees and we've just said we don't have to come to the office. So if they choose to go, we need you as the option. But when you say if they choose to go. Right. They may choose to go to the office instead of work in another country. Got it. So it's companies are saying, you know, you have the freedom to work where you want right. for certain people, but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to choose it. They may just choose it part-time. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. 
So, so you have, uh, you're at about 20 employees. Tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and where you've seen your biggest challenges. It's interesting. We have way more demand than we have into spots. People are wanting to work for us. They see what we've built and where we're going Fantastic. and they're begging to work for us. Really? So how are they hearing um, about you? Uh, they are begging see. to work for you. Yeah, I, I saw that our job board filled up with three more openings this weekend. And I think we had um, eight people per opening uh, within the first couple of days, which is unreal. Really? And so they're hearing about us through job boards, you know, it'll, it'll be populated on Indeed and, and Ada and different ones like that. But, um, people talk about it on Twitter. They're checking us out, whether it's LinkedIn or wherever. So it's, it's usually through referral, finding it out there. Somebody telling them about it. Got it. Are you, are you staying strictly with the, you know, again, you talk about referrals, but the post and pray strategy. <laughs> Um, or, or are you actually going out and doing any headhunting for people? <laughs> uh, no, it's due for the three years. We've had more, more applicants than we could consider really. And you, and you, so it's more of, okay, who's the best one? And, you know, new growth manager in, in Europe, Australian came from Gallagher, one of the giants in the, in the world for insurance. Broker. So you haven't, you haven't found that, that. You know, because generally the only, you know, I, generally the only people applying for jobs are people who need a job. Now that, again, I'm just making a blanket generalization. There are the exceptions to your point where if people are really mm -hmm. finding out about you, they're thinking, oh, I really want to take a look at this. Right? Right. The the folks that are coming to us are, are stellar. That's fantastic. Uh, sure, there are others out of the ordinary. no experience at all that are a thing of, you know, we'll pass. But yeah. then there are others that are just, Wow. You know, wish we could hire you, you, and you all for that one one person mm -hmm. role. Yeah. So, what do you think your growth plans are here over the next, let's say, twelve months? Uh, we'll be expanding into new markets. Uh, East Africa is strong for us, as well as Southeast Asia, and uh, we'll be we'll continue adding new team members and have new products under development. So it's it's an ex exciting twelve months. We're, I find it extremely exhilarating and, and I, you know, just love what I'm doing. Well, that's, you know, what the, what do they say? Uh, if you love what you're doing, you don't work a day in your life. Yeah. I, although that's a bit of a stretch, I think, because yes, I, I do feel it. I am working well, more than a day every day. You're a founder. Of course you are. No, there's, there's, yes. there's no such thing as a, you know, an eight hour day when you're, when you're starting a company, when you're building an organization. Yes. Um, have you, since we're talking a little bit about town strategy, have you have you experienced any turnover over the last three years? And tell me why that happened. Do you think? Uh, yes, we have. We've had folks that have retired. We have folks that have um, retired already. <laughs> retired already. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's um, had had a great place uh, and realized okay. Uh, helped helped build at a crucial point. We've had others that it wasn't the right fit. Uh, we've had some that uh, got a new opportunity. You know, hired some that they said, you know, I'm waiting. I'd love to work for you, but I have this other opportunity that's waiting. So we went ahead and hired him. And then they got that other one and left us. So it's one of those things. People have to be first. Their best have to be the the goal. 
uh, back to our passion about uh, fighting modern-day slavery. When you think about that, slavery often comes from the employer. So if you can value your people and have trust is such a high value, where it's not a thing of a time clock, it's not a thing of, oh, where are you right now? You didn't respond to my message. Well, they could have been in the men's room, ladies' room. They could have been taking care of a sick child, could have needed a moment to cry or laugh with a friend. It's, they're not chained to a computer for their employer. They're human. So for those who've left and those who've joined, it's realizing there may be a side gig. There may be a, another passion. There may be a child in need. There may be a child on the way. It's so many important elements to consider. Right. Well, and you have to have trust in your people, right? I mean, I, I read an article not long ago about a number of companies who are putting, um, what would you call it? Um, there's a name for it. But basically software on their employees' computers that watches what they're doing. <laughs> yes. You know, in, in like 15-minute increments. So, you know, if they get up and, and, you know, go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, it, depending on an increment, they don't get paid for the entire increment. People were mm -hmm. noticing that their paychecks were coming in and they weren't right. And I thought, who in the world would work for a company like that? I just, I just don't, I don't understand that. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you had some people that were not a fit that left. So where, what fell short in your hiring or your interviewing process, do you think? I believe we solved that uh, with, if there's any hesitation by the multiple people interviewing, if one person has a slight hesitation on culture fit, then we have to trust that person's punch, that person's intuition. Because you, know, you can go back to the, the thought of, you know if you like someone, if you're going to gel with someone in the first 10 seconds. And you, you kind of have to, to discuss that well with the other folks interviewing in that 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Was it a full-on yes by everybody? You, you know, you, you, as you just talked about how, you know, people have lives and, you know, maybe they need to take a minute to cry or to do this or, you know, to take, to do that or take care of a sick kid. That certainly is, is, does it make you the only company that's unique in that way? No, but it makes you one of the few that are probably unique in that way. Uh, how would you define your company culture? Interesting question. How would you define the company culture? It's, it's, um, that's one of those things I'd like to be able to put into words. A conscious culture is something that we've said we're committed to, but that that is it's even too vague because it's um, one person can wreck a culture, whether it's just one of the leadership team members that have a bad day can have a residual effect for the next two or three years. Uh, so one statement said out of place, one action, like uh, the famous one this year is someone fire letting everybody go on a Zoom call or something like that. That happened? Yeah. You know, yes. 
uh, it, it, it did happen. I must have missed that. Yeah, 200, people, 200 people go or something on one Zoom call. And, you know, something like that can wreck a culture from the top, but it can also happen from inside to where someone is always pestering someone else and wanting instant when instant isn't necessarily the culture. So I think it's a, it is hard to define a culture because it's constantly changing since hopefully we're all getting better. That's the key though. Are we, or are we in seasons of weakness and seasons of strength? Mm-hmm. What does your day-to-day look like as a leader? Like, How do you spend your time? What do you spend it doing? I generally, besides getting up and getting the kids fed and off to school, which my wife does most of that in this season. Yes, I did the omelet this morning, but usually it's all her. Um, you know, get the dogs out to pee in, in the early morning and have some meditation time, some reading time. Just calming. but. Yes, due to multiculture, multi-time zones, we've got folks who are shutting down their world when I'm just having uh, my yes, first I cup of coffee. No, I get it. So there's that tension between do I continue with meditation and coffee or do I jump in? And I fail at that more often than I like. But... You know, that's, that's kind of the start. Ideally, I would be on the rowing machine more than three to four times a week. Uh, but stepping outside during the day to take a phone call away from the computer to say, this one's going to be by phone instead of by Teams. Right, Zoom. right. And walking around outside, even if it's cold, standing on the porch, even if it's raining, it's getting away and, and pausing during the day for some meditation time as well. And shutting down early enough in the evening. For those who are working from home or, or even working from the office and then taking it home with you, the temptation is to keep going. Because we're awake, we can keep doing it. And that's not good. I, I've already had a heart attack and bypass surgery from lack of boundaries. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that, you know, you make such an important, an, an important point that think more and more, I mean, yeah, you got to work your, you know, your took us off to, you know, to, to have a successful, you know, startup, any successful company. However, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to take care of your business. Right. And, you know, for me, I get up early. I'm, I mean, I could be awake really anytime between four 30 and about five 15. It just depends. I don't always jump out of bed at four 30. In fact, I usually don't unless I've got something really pressing. Um, but you know, even for me laying in bed for 45 minutes, listening to NPR, you know, is, is all I need to do before I jump out of bed and get my day going. But, you know, sometimes I go right to my desk first thing and then I take a break a little bit later. I did that this morning. In fact, you know, I went to the gym, like, I don't know, two hours or two and a half hours later than I usually do just because sometimes that's what I need. Right. And, 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 I, and it was loosely. fortunately, I didn't have any calls early on my schedule that allowed me to do that. Right. Right. Holding yeah. your schedule loosely, but then allowing others to hold their schedule loosely. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and it's hard. You know, I've got somebody, like I said, working for me in the Philippines who's 14 hours ahead of us, ahead of me. And um, it makes it challenging. You know, if I have a call with her at, at 
you know, I can have a call with her at 6 a.m., but that's still eight o'clock in the evening for her. Mm -hmm. So now we've moved our calls to six o'clock my evening, which is eight o'clock for her tomorrow morning, which is really, you know, it doesn't disrupt my schedule and it doesn't really disrupt her either. Right. You know, so, so, you know, there has to be some flexibility around that. So, you know, if I'm going to be on the phone till seven o'clock, I may take, instead of going to the gym at 615, I may just work and then go a little bit later. Cause I need, you know, I need an hour and a half break sometime in the middle of my morning, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. And I think that's really, really super, super important. Uh, how do you find working with your wife? Uh, you know, that's interesting because working with your wife for me, it was, a it was something that we've done since before we were married. You know, she was in her residency when we first met and I saw forms of the hospital that needed to be rebuilt. So I popped Excel open and, and started working on them. It's, uh, it, I didn't work at a hospital, but you know, what's mine is hers. What's hers is mine. We share, you know, the things that need to get done. Teamwork. I, I see her see her in the other room right now working on something, and I think, oh, she needs another couple of hands with that. But I know. I know her work style, so I know, no, she's good without me there. But, yes, working in the same same place, hearing each other, on phone calls, hearing each other in meetings uh, does call for more patience. Right. We have decided to live together. No, I'm <laughs> um, but no, 21 years of marriage yeah. and raising kids mm. and, and uh, then deciding, okay, to work from home versus going into an office. It's um, especially during the early stage of the pandemic when she was working 16, 18 hours a day with time zones, with managing the pandemic for a multinational corporation, that um, kind of made it hard to go to bed if she was in the bedroom working with China or with Malaysia because it was morning work day for them. So, and, but you know, it comes in stages to where one person picks up a slack for another and, and it's, it's teamwork. And it's a choice. Um, our actions are our response. Reaction is our responsibility in anything, whether it's work or dinner or, you know, whether or not the kitty litter box needs to be changed. No, that's, listen, that, that's great. Um, do you have any particular uh, client success story that you're particularly proud of that you'd like to share? Oh, well, I would, I would hope every client is a success story. Um, Pick one you out. know, one comes to mind that uh, they, they called their policy had, had lapsed and they actually called me directly. I remember I was getting into an elevator. Just, of course, decided not to get in that elevator when the phone rang because they were calling me from an African country and saying their teenage son was in the hospital and the hospital said there's nothing they can do. Can you arrange for an air ambulance or an air evac to, to South Africa? I was like, well, we need to get your policy paid. Of course, they didn't even realize they had let it lapse, but we're able to, that by the end of the day, they had made payments and the policy was back in force and the child was, the teenager was on a plane to Johannesburg and 
five weeks later out of intensive care and perfectly normal now. But that's one of those things where the claims on that was $88,000. And compared to the 10000 or so a year they were paying for, for the family, for global health insurance, that was nothing. They, you know, over the years of, of paying premiums, that was just priceless. About that. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything that I that we haven't talked about, or that I haven't asked you that there anything I've you know missed asking you about that you want to talk about before we sign off? Well, just for those listening, just I would love it if you would also tune into our podcast, the New Nomad. You referenced it earlier, and there'll be some wonderful links in the show notes. But just as a fellow host of the podcast. I encourage you to go and subscribe to this one. Write a good review on whatever, if you're on Apple or Google, write a review for Carol and (laughs) and this podcast. But remember Insured Nomads. Next time you're on a trip, next Mm -hmm. time you're someone comes and says, you know, I'm going to go teach school at this university overseas, tell them to come to Insured Nomads. Well, I got nothing. I got nothing more. With that said, Andrew Jernigan, Uh, co-founder and CEO of Insured Nomads. It's been a pleasure. I really thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Thank you, Carol. And thank you to all the listeners for making this a great podcast. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.